Okay, uh, now we come on to our reading, which is quite a, a long reading this morning, and this is from Acts chapter 20, verse 17, through to uh, the middle part of chapter 21. And this will lead us into Nick's last message in the Dangerous Faith series, excuse me. So, the words should appear on the screen, and indeed they have. Isn't technology wonderful? Look at that, fantastic. This is my technology here, you see. <laughs> okay, let's read from the Lord's Word, and we pick up the reading where Paul is in Miletus, which is in Turkey. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples from them, after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this work, by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced and kissed him. 
What grieved him most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city and there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agapus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Nick. So there's a lot in that. Um, as you know, we've been following uh, the dangerous faith series. And this is a really, I think, uh, really apt place to finish, it, as, as you'll see as we go on. So let me pray. Father God, uh, we, want to, we want you to speak to us. We want to hear you speaking by your Holy Spirit. Not invented words, not my words, but what you would have us understand uh, from this passage, from Paul's example, from the example of the early believers, from the example of the persecuted church around the world. What would you have us do? Please, Lord, speak by your spirit to our hearts even as we hear the words spoken from the front. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so we asked last time, if you knew that there were people in your acquaintances this week who Jesus had chosen to draw to the Father, how would you change that week? You remember um, 
the message through the, the Spirit to, 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 from Jesus uh, to Paul in, in a vision. I have many people in this city. Well, if the Lord said that to you, um, I have people in your circle this week. Um, I have people. I have chosen people. I have people who uh, need to hear the gospel and are ready to come to Christ. How would that change your week? What would you do? Surely you'd go out more intrigued. Um, surely you would be praying ahead of time. Lord, lead me to those people who are, who are ready to hear and you'd be praying for, for courage. You would look for, you'd be actively looking for opportunities to share your faith. But today I'm going to ask you a, a different question. What if you knew that there were people out there in this week who are going to try to trap you and harm you because you are a, a Christian? How would that change your week? And you know what? I think then you'd really pray. Then we'd really pray, wouldn't we? We'd be down on our knees saying, Lord, protect me this week. Lord, make me wise. Lord, give me, Lord, give me courage this week. We might have said before, I want courage for opportunities. But if the, if the Lord said to you, you're going to be opposed this week, there are people out to get you this week, then gosh, we'd be down on our knees. Would we not? Well, here's a question. What if both of those things are true? What if both of those things are true this week? Here's a little map for you to kind of work out where you're going. Well, it's a bit fuzzy, isn't it? Um, there is Miletus, just at the top of that arrow on the coast. And if you follow that inland a little bit or follow that arrow up, you can just see Ephesus. So this is Paul's um, third missionary journey, though I think, as we said before, that's a bit of a misnomer. He was in Ephesus for three years. It's not a journey. That's come. don't know what you want to call that. But you can see he stepped out from Antioch, um, headed that way. So he, he went through Ephesus for quite a long time ago. And then he's been round through Greece. He's on his way back. And he stops at Miletus. And it's convenient because it's a stop for him. And it's as near as he's going to get to Ephesus on the way back. So he calls the Ephesian elders to, to come and talk to him. That's Miletus. And then you can see he, he journeys on um, round Cyprus, lands here. Um, and we leave him at the end at Caesarea, which is the last but one stop on that journey. And he's on his way to um, uh, Jerusalem. So that's Caesarea, the little arrow. So as we say, Paul's on his way home. We start in Miletus. Paul calls the elders of the churches there, the church in, in Ephesus. And it's a really poignant moment, isn't it, um, of uh, commissioning and, and farewell. And actually, it's an interesting speech, this. It bears reading, again, because it's the only time that we hear Paul talking to a Christian audience in the book of Acts. Um, all the rest of the time he, he's defending the faith um, this is the only speech of any length um, he's addressing a Christian audience and Luke's done a very good job that's another interesting little study that we don't have time for is that Luke's done a really good job of summing up Paul because it sounds a lot like Paul and you can compare all the things that Paul said here with the, the things that he said in his letters so Luke's, Luke's done a good job maybe he was, well, he was there um, and maybe he's taken notes and we end in um, Caesarea, and there's, there's more weeping, um, and there's the specific prophecy of hard times for Paul. And while um, Paul's in Miletus, he talks to the, he, he draws the Ephesian elders together, uh, and he and he he commissions them. He he sets them up by 
telling them what his example was from the past, gives them an idea about his future, and then he gives them um, some very specific commissioning. And I want us to pick those things up uh, relatively briefly this morning, but then look at the big picture of kind of what is the Holy Spirit saying to Paul in this time? What is the Holy Spirit saying to us? So Paul calls these elders of the church um, uh, together. We notice that at the beginning of the passage, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church, verse 17. Yet later on, he calls them himself. He calls them overseers in verse 28. In that same verse, he asks them to shepherd the church. He asks them to pastor the church. There is no specific word in the New Testament for pastor. It is the same word as shepherd. So those three words, elders, Luke uses, and Paul calls them overseers and shepherds or pastors. Those three words are for the same group of people. And clearly there's a group of them churches should be led by teams of elders. I'm not going to say any more about that now. But Paul gives them this example. And this goes for elders, it probably goes for all of Christians. He says that I serve the Lord with great humility. He's the great apostle, isn't he? Paul, and yet he serves, he says, with humility. All Christian roles are service. Even leadership roles are service, even leading. And he serves with humility. And I think... Humility is worth practicing. Remember, I can't remember where it where it came up, but I found it I found it useful just every so often to 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 practice humility. In other words, to think of the group of people I'm going towards be you lot on a Sunday morning or or a home group situation, <coughs> or even my family, and just think, well, I, I humble myself before them this morning. What what does that mean? And just actually think of the group of people. Um, who you're meeting with and just say well I'm going to humble myself before them and then just reflect on what's that going to mean it means that you're not going to think of yourself more important it means that you're going to serve them it means that you're going to um, put effort in it means that you're going to look um, to their needs above yours I think a little bit of practicing humility is really helpful though I think in Paul's terms it may also mean that he, he prepared to be humiliated in the eyes of people around him while he was serving So if you want to be an elder, if you're an elder already, um, serve with humility. Prepare to be humiliated, maybe in the sight of your work colleagues. He says he cared deeply. There are occasions, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of, of, of severe testing. There are occasions when he's reduced to tears. What's Paul in, in tears over? He's in tears over people who go astray. In others of his writings, he's in, he's in tears over sin. Um, and he's in tears over the lost. Elders, that's what it's like. It's identifying enough uh, with other people and caring enough for other people, both those in church, that if they go astray, it's a matter of tears. And, it, and if you're caring enough about the lost uh, to bring tears. Do you know what? There's just not enough tears, are there? Um, in church life. I remember just hearing, uh, it wasn't a conversation I was particularly involved with, but hearing there was um, one of the AFCC churches where there'd been a remarkable, um, you know, remarkable fruit over a number of years, a mini revival, really, of people coming to know the Lord. But the guy, the guy saying to somebody else's over here, he, he said the carpet was wet. 
carpet was wet, and he meant that literally. There were people on, on their knees in tears. Why do we not see revival? Probably there's not enough tears yet um, in, in the church. So come on, keep praying. Those opportunities we get on, on Sunday evenings to pray, let's pray. Do you know what? There are some tears. Those prayer meetings, I'm really glad to say, and I'm really pleased. Because there are people who, who care enough about the lost. If you're an elder, then um, Paul says uh, he's the focus of opposition, isn't he? If you're an elder, you need to be ready to be the focus of opposition. You have to stand up and be prepared to stand for things, and, and people will. People will just be rude about you. And he says, I taught all kinds of things. He taught the popular truths, the unpopular truths, in all kinds of situations. Maybe up front, uh, we, we, we not, the whole church was gathered in small groups, one-to-one. -one. That's what elders do. <laughs> to all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. Can't restrict ourselves to people just like us. That's Paul's example. And it goes for elders in particular, because he's speaking to elders goes to Christians in general doesn't it and then Paul goes on to his his future now compelled by the spirit I'm going to Jerusalem I don't know what's going to happen there I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and, and hardships are facing me he doesn't know exactly what will happen but he knows that hardships await he is being repeatedly warned in every city. Maybe there are prophets in each of those gatherings and he's being repeatedly warned that hardships and prison await. So he doesn't know what this is going to look like, but he does know that hardships await. And he says, I do know that, that the Lord Jesus has given me a task. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And he knows that he holds a, a life or death responsibility. Uh, testifying to the, to the good news of, of God's grace is, is not a kind of nicety. We do because we kind of think, well, we're Christians, this is what we do. This testimony, this, this witness to other people is life or death to them. He has that kind of Ezekiel call as a watchman. Ezekiel was told that if you, if you don't tell people their, then their blood falls on you. And Paul knows that he has this life or death uh, responsibility of, of telling people. This is the heart of Christian witness. Do you know any of that? Can we say that we know any of that, that we feel any of that? We're given, given a task by Jesus. Not an apostolic task like Paul. We'll look at that in a minute, but a delegated task from the apostles through the scriptures to us. But it's life or death. And so Paul commissions the elders. He says, keep watch and be shepherds uh, over the flock. And notice uh, the way that the, the church is, uh, is described. Um, keep watch over yourselves. They're, they have to keep watch over themselves first. That's just um, key to an eldership task, is that elders watch over their own lives. Um, their own behaviour. You see so many, ch um, ch well, so many, but you see fair smattering, don't you, each year of church leaders uh, failing and falling and uh, bringing dishonour to Christ in the church. Keep watch over yourselves, but then keep watch over the flock. Be shepherds of the church of God, 
which he bought with his own blood and over which you've been made overseers by the Holy Spirit. What a precious thing the church is. It's really easy in, in any ministry, and I think particularly in the situation we've been through, um, to get tired, to get a bit um, worn out, just to feel like, oh gosh, I've got to do this again. But what a precious thing this is. It's the church of God. It is God's church. And always worth remembering, actually, that Jesus said, I will build my church. Um, elders, um, I have to remind myself, it's not me that's building the church, it's Jesus that's building his church. But it is nevertheless the church of God. You are the people that God owns, that God is in covenant with, that God loves. You are bought by the blood of Christ, laid down his life for you. And by implication with a, with a church that is organised and, and gifted and empowered and given life by the Holy Spirit. What an amazing thing the church is. And the role of the elders, specifically, they're told to resist the distortion of the truth. I've lost that. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And he says, and then he says, I've committed to the word of God and to, uh, to God and to his word of grace. This is, this is eldership responsibility, is to resist the distortion of the truth by teaching the word of grace. And I wonder what the distortions of the truth are that are kind of that are in that are in our church. How is the truth getting getting dis, distorted in in Staines Con? We might want to say we want to kind of uh, we want to resist uh, distortions of the gospel or distortions of an understanding of people in in terms of identity and, and sexuality, and those are are right things, and we and we teach those. But I wonder whether the primary distortion to the gospel is that Christianity is some kind of add-on to real life. That Christianity is a kind of optional extra. There is a philosophy to adopt or a a team to support. One of the distortion is that church and the fellowship are are, are secondary to real life and... and, uh, Not at all, Christianity will not rest with that. Christianity is a claim on what is really real. On what is really real. Christianity is a claim about the nature of the universe. What is this universe? Where did it come from? Is it an accident? Or is God actually... behind it and through it and in it and and sustaining it? And what is the future of the universe? Christianity insists on these big questions. Questions which need the kind of science, real life, Monday to Saturday part of your brain to engage with. And Paul reminds them, one thing I forgot to put in, I only spotted this, this is what happens, isn't it, when you read the reading again, that Paul works with his own hands so that as an elder, he's not, not, just, not just so that he's a burden to anybody, but that he can be involved in giving. Elders need, like everybody else, to be involved in giving. So what's the Spirit saying? What's the Spirit saying to Paul? What's the Spirit saying to you? I think that's one of the, the intriguing questions as you read this passage again. You could read it again and, and just, um, uh, you know, on Bible Gateway or, or whatever you've got and just look at where, how often spirit comes up 
um, in this passage. What is the Holy Spirit saying? Well, Paul has a commission to be an apostle from the risen Jesus. That didn't come from the Holy Spirit. That came from the risen Jesus himself um, in person. And it was this. It was to testify um, to God's grace. It was to go out and tell people that the historical facts, the reality of the gospel, but also to testify to it, which is to speak about his experience of it. Personal experience in historical truth. And now he's re- receiving repeated warnings by the Spirit that, that prison and, and hardship uh, await. And if you read this passage, you might think there are kind of Paul is getting mixed messages um, from the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is clearly telling him that he's going to. Uh, face hardships and prison, the Holy Spirit is telling him to go to Jerusalem. The, the, the Christians in Tyre by the Holy Spirit are telling him not to go. Now clearly the, the Holy Spirit doesn't give mixed messages, but I think what's happening is that the Christians in, in Tyre are, are, are hearing or are sensing by the, by the Spirit that where Paul heads um, is dangerous. It, it, there is jeopardy in his future but what they're not receiving uh, by the same spirit is that conviction that Paul has in his heart that the spirit is giving that he needs to carry on this Jesus-given ministry through um, in, into Jerusalem. And of course there's that graphic thing where Agabus comes uh, and ties Paul with his belt and tells him what will happen. His belt was not like mine because if you tried to tie my hands and feet with my belt I'm not quite sure what position I would be in. Um, uh, his belt would have been like a long strip of material, uh, possibly a rope, but really a much longer strip of material. And, uh, and this is the message. That's interesting. Is that me from another time? I, I can't. Oh, it's reading the Bible to you. <laughs> That's all right. Holy Spirit saying something completely different to you. That's fine. Let's just go. <laughs> so there is this. There is this message to Paul. Um, this this double message. Um, that there is a job to do, a responsibility to be carried through. But it's going to involve hardship. Interestingly. The elders have a Holy Spirit-given task to do. They've been commissioned by the Spirit speaking to and through the church uh, to to teach and defend this apostolic word of grace, the word that Paul has given them. But there is a warning. There is a warning of uh, conflict. People are going to come into the church and are going to stir up trouble. It's a double message by the Spirit. Two messages or, or a commissioning and a warning. And the same, the same is true for you and for me. We have a commission from Jesus through the same apostolic word, this time through Matthew, applied to our hearts by the Spirit of God that we are... That Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's the Great Commission. That is our foundation commission. That is our job as a church. With the different gifts that we have within the church is to, is to make disciples, um, to go and make disciples. And there is a warning. There's a commissioning and there is a warning. This, you'll be handed over to be persecuted, put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations. Because, I mean, that's just one of them. There are repeated warnings from Jesus in Matthew in the Gospel. You have a commission and you have a warning. Like Paul, like those elders, to go and make disciples. But it will be hard. You'll be hated. As we always say, as we repeatedly say to some people, you'll be the fragrance of life. Those people that Jesus has out there, and to others you'll be the stench of death. I had an email that came through the website this week, purported to be from a 13-year-old girl asking, could we help her understand certain things about sexuality and identity? Uh, may still turn out to be from a 13-year-old girl, but I'm 90% certain that it's not. Um, somebody fishing for us to put our cards on the table, I presume, in, in such a way that they would know where we stand and, and potentially cause us trouble. Brought it home to me that there are people who want to cause us trouble as Christians. You have a commission and you have a warning. And we can't shirk away from it because this is a life or death message. It's about eternal life, it's about eternal death. It's about where people spend eternity. It's about whether they spend it in the new creation uh, with God or whether they spend it in eternal punishment. Which is something we can barely... uh, tolerate thinking about but we have to and so we don't know what the future holds like Paul but the one certainty is for Christians Jesus says trouble can you set your heart and your head to head into trouble for the sake of Jesus and we learn the lessons from the persecuted church, don't we, about those times when there are times to, to step back and times to step out. Can we accept, as we come to the end of this series, looking at the persecuted church, that, that trouble is part of the deal? What are you going to do? Well, I think you have to get on our knees. If we needed courage to speak about Christ, we need courage now that there is a promise of trouble, all the more to continue to be honest about our faith and what the implications of that are, wherever we find ourselves. So I'll finish with this, 1 Corinthians. It's one of those throwaway remarks from Paul at, at the end of one of his letters, but I think it applies today. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. 
be strong, do everything in love. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love.